Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be wrapping up this little four-part series that we are beginning 2016 with, a series that we have called Share, a series where we have been talking about how God has extended to us an increasing overflowing measure of his love in such a way that it would fill us up but overflow our lives and would impact all that we come in contact with, those inside and those outside the church. And we've taken as our kind of theme verse for this series a prayer that we're praying for Wildwood all year, and that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for, um, a prayer that he, he prayed for the Thessalonians is a prayer that we're praying for us. It is this, it says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Now this Increasing, overflowing measure of God's love will look different ways as we begin to extend it to others. And in this series, we've talked about how one of the ways it looks is that we would be engaging one another. We would engage those around us in the community as we see them, but we'd also be engaging to one another right here inside the church. This would be a place where we recognize the blessing that God has given around us of, of other people. And we have done that the last couple of weeks by just having a moment in the service where we've put on some name tags, and we've stood up and we've said hello to those around us. Today, we are taking off the training wheels, no name tags, but we are still going to have a chance. So 45 seconds, stand up and say hello to somebody around you as we engage those here, and we will continue in just a minute. really fast, I know. Um, some of you are going, thank goodness that time goes really fast. Others of you are thinking, I wish that we had twice as much time uh, to be able to engage. Just, just know that that's why we have a gathering hall. That's why we have these times between the services that you, some of the conversations that begin here, you might be able to continue those outside of this place. But it's a real blessing and privilege to be able to gather together as the body of Christ as we engage with one another. Well, one of the other expressions of this love we, we talked about was through inviting, and then we talked about that last week. Now, we have the privilege of, like Andrew with his brother Simon, inviting people to come and to connect to Christ with us. And, you know, it's been exciting for me even just in the last week to see how God has been answering that prayer and how he's been using us as a church to invite and include others. Uh, one of the expressions of that was just this last Wednesday night, we had our family night here, and uh, you can see a picture of, of just some of what that looked like. Uh, about half of the group is their first time uh, to come to a family night, but it just is, is a reminder that, that invitations are going out. So I just want just to celebrate what God is doing through you to inviting and including uh, others here at Wildwood. And not only are we applying this you know, individually, but we're also applying this truth corporately. 
And uh, we, we've had the incredible opportunity of being able to put a billboard out on Sooner Road uh, that's going to look like this, and within a couple of weeks that will be up. But this billboard is just a chance for us as a church to be able to invite people to come to Wildwood and to connect to Christ here with us. This billboard was donated to us uh, by the generosity of someone within the body. I'm very excited corporately for us to be able to extend this invitation to our community. So we've been talking about inviting. But a, a third way that we can express this love of God is by including. And that's something that we are going to talk about more today, including others um, in following Christ with us. So uh, when we, we think about including, and before we get there, I want to just talk a little bit about a, a, an aspect of the culture in which we live. We live in a culture that is really fixated on two letters. You may guess what those two letters are? We live in a culture that is fixated on the letters M and E. Uh, we, we, we just are. We're, we're very concerned about ourselves. We're very interested. And, and you know, I, I could illustrate this in many ways from my own life and, and, and those kinds of things, but that is way too convicting. So I'm going to talk about other people for a minute, um, about some ways in which this uh, fixation on me looks. You know, it happens in, in the sporting world, right, where a person playing a team game after the game will have an interview and they want to talk all about themselves, in their deal, not, not even acknowledging the contributions of their teammates, except for maybe in a cursory way. You know, I just, I'm a big OU basketball fan. That's the opposite of that team. That's part of the reason why they're so fun to watch. They're not as enamored with me as, as many teams are. Yesterday, Isaiah Cousins, not Buddy Heald, takes the end shot, right? They're, they're a team. But many times in sports, we have evidence of people more concerned with me than, than, with, than with the team. Uh, we, we see it in politics, where people on, on both sides of the aisle want to make it all about themselves, what they will do, what they have done. They are so great. They are whatever. As an individual, there's a, there's a fixation on me. But, but here's something really interesting that has happened. Into our world that is fixated on me, Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes into the world, he, he turns it upside down in many ways. And one of the ways that Jesus turns the world upside down is he, he makes it a we. He turns the me's into a we. Now, certainly, as we begin a relationship with Christ, that beginning uh, starts with an individual profession of faith in Christ. But once someone is come, comes into a relationship with Christ, what does Jesus do with them? Where does he place them? Inside his body, a part of a we. Certainly, as we are called to go out and minister, there are individual needs, there are individuals we are engaging with and interacting with, but when Jesus describes the Great Commission, it is to go where? To all nations, plural, a we. Jesus takes the, the me culture, the, the me temptation, the me current, and he turns it into a we. And it's an incredible gift that he has given to us. And hopefully we'll see today as we look at God's word together that we are included in a we. And that we are given the opportunity, all of us in this room, to see God do some amazing things through us. So we're going to look at that today by looking at the first we that 
was created in the church, and that is the calling of the 12 apostles. And we're going to look at this in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, and, and I'll read these verses for us, and then we're going to back up and examine them a little more closely. It says here that Jesus went up onto a mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also called apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name the Sons of Thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. So we see here Jesus calling 12 to be apostles. Now, I want us to see a couple of things in these verses that would be encouraging to us as we think about including others in this mission that that Christ has has called us to. The first thing we're going to see is this. Jesus included a few. Jesus included a few. We see at the beginning of these verses in, in Mark 3 that Jesus goes out to a mountain. Every time Jesus is on a mountain, something cool happens. You ever notice that? He goes on a mountain, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, he goes on a mountain, he's transfigured and, and reveals his true identity to the, his uh, key, a few of the, of the disciples. And he goes up on a mountain in this case, and he spends the night in prayer. It doesn't say this in Mark 3, but we see in Luke's gospel that when Jesus went up on that mountain, he went the night before and he spent all night on this mountain praying. And then it says in, in Mark chapter 3 that he called to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12. Now, when we read that in, in Mark's gospel, uh, we, we might get the wrong picture. It's helpful for us to look at, at Luke's gospel to add a little color and a little clarity to this situation. Because when you read Mark's gospel, it sounds as though Jesus called to himself all that were following him, and he looked up, and there were 12 people there. And he said, okay, I guess it's you 12. Let's go. Um, but the reality is that that wasn't the case. There were more than 12 that came out that day. And, and, Mark, and, and Luke makes that clear in his gospel in, in chapter 6. Look at what it says in, in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. It says, in these days... Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Verse 13, and when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. See, there was a group of people who were followers of Christ. They were disciples. Those words could be used interchangeably. There were, there were a group of people, we don't know how many, who had become curious about Jesus. They wanted to know more about him. They were still getting to know him. Some maybe had become convinced that he was the Messiah, but we don't know that for sure. But there were a group of people who were interested in Jesus, and, and they all come out to Jesus on this mountainside. We know that there were more than 12 because of what Luke tells us. And then Jesus, from that group, 
chooses to include 12 into this group that he's going to call the apostles, the sent ones, a very special subset group that Jesus was going to spend extended time with. Now that we've kind of painted that picture a little more clearly by looking at Mark and Luke, I want to just ask you for a minute. Let's just think about this. Let's just say that you were a disciple of Jesus. You were a follower of Jesus, and you went out to the mountain that day, and you were not one of the 12 who was selected. Let's just say there was a group about this size, and, 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 and they were to come, and Jesus looks and goes, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. First three rows, y'all are in. Everybody else, you guys are not part of that group. Now, let me just ask you a question. Is there a chance that somebody might have been offended by that step? Is there a chance that somebody raised their hand and said, seriously, that guy? Have you even read my resume, Jesus? Isn't there a chance that there was the creation of some hard feelings as Jesus included a few in this group that he called apostles? I think so. But he did it anyway. And why did he do it? Well, maybe before we answer the question, why did he do it, it would be helpful for us to think about why he didn't do it by the rest of what we see in the New Testament. It seems clear to me that Jesus didn't do it because he only loved 12. Because when Jesus goes and dies on the cross, how many did he die for? The sins of the world. Well, that's pretty significant. What a demonstration of his love. He didn't choose just the 12 because he only loved the 12. He chose the 12 for a different reason. He he didn't just choose the 12 because he liked the 12 the best. You ever thought about that? Jesus had his favorites. Some of you maybe have felt this way before. You felt like, you know what? Uh, God may love me. He may have to love me, but I'm not sure he likes me. We kind of chuckle. We kind of laugh. Some of you are feeling that right now. But it's interesting to see that I, I don't think Jesus picked these 12 because he just liked them the best. I mean, let's be honest. What... What evidence do we see in this list of who he asked that maybe he picked some that, that didn't just were the ones that he liked the best? How about Judas, right? Jesus knew what was going to happen. He's a sovereign God, and he picks Judas to be included. It reminds us that he didn't just pick those whom he liked the best, not just those he loved, not just those he liked, but Jesus chooses 12 for a different reason. What is that reason? Why did Jesus focus his ministry in with 12 that were going to gather around him as apostles at this point? I think he did so for strategic reasons. Jesus gathered and included the 12 for strategic reasons. Think about what happened when Jesus came into this earth. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he humbled himself. This is the language of the scripture. He humbled himself by taking on humanity. And part of that humility in taking on humanity was he brought upon himself several limitations, limitations of of time. He had to sleep. He had to eat. Those were things that Jesus did in his life on the earth because he was fully human. It was a limitation he brought upon himself. That limitation made it difficult for him to have unlimited time, if not impossible, for everyone who might come in in the same measure, in the same way during that that window of time where he was on the earth. He needed to select a few to focus time in for a strategic reason. Hey, you know, not just because of of that limitation, but but Jesus was also limited geographically. 
He could only be in one place at one time. He was, he was limiting himself uh, because he understood the limitations logistically. I mean, have you ever tried to go on vacation with 15 people? That's hard to do, right? Much easier when the group gets a little smaller. You can move a little more nimbly. Can you imagine what would happen with a group of 500 traveling together, or 1,000, or 2,000, or 3,000? Logistically, that would have been difficult, especially in a day when you couldn't just roll up with the greyhounds and go. I mean, this was a, a walking crowd, maybe a few donkeys here and there. But Jesus, because of these limitations that he took upon himself when he came to the earth, begins to focus on a few strategically based on these limitations because he wanted to develop some relationships within them to be able to do something through them that would continue on even to today. Now, here is what's interesting to see. Jesus took a group of me's and he made them a we. But who did Jesus include in this we? It's an interesting collection of people, isn't it? The names that are listed there. We see their names there and we think, well, yeah, of course he included them because they're the apostles because that's how we got to know them. But in the first century, they were just guys and Jesus included them. As a matter of fact, they were guys who had a lot of differences between them. I mean, just think about it. There's a guy like Thomas. What's one thing you know about Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? Aren't you glad your name isn't in the Bible? I mean, this is the one thing we know about the man. He may have been a heck of a guy, a really good cook, a wonderful host. We don't know what, anything about this guy other than he was, uh, he was somebody who doubted Jesus after the, after the resurrection. He wanted to put his hands on this. So you have, a, you, have a, you have a cautious, doubting-type person like Thomas, and then you have a wave walker like Peter. Two very, very different people. Uh, you have a guy like Thaddeus. Quick, tell me what Thaddeus said. What, what, are we, what's that, what was Thaddeus known for? Your silence is instructive. We know nothing about what Thaddeus said, right? But also in the group, there were two guys, James and John, who were known as the sons of thunder. I'm guessing that was not because they were quiet. So you have these different kinds of people who are a part of this. You have some who uh, hated Rome's occupation of Israel and vowed to take it out like Simon the Zealot. And you had others who worked for Rome, like Matthew the tax collector. You have some who were uh, just very gracious, generous, inviting, including people like Andrew, who every time he turned around, we saw this last week, he's bringing people to Jesus. And you have Judas Iscariot who would betray him. We have a, a very diverse group of people that Jesus is gathering. And here's the thing, not a one of them was a religious scholar, not a one of them was a priest. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gathered such a diverse non-professional crowd to be a part of this 12. Why did he do that? Well, before we answer that, I think Walter Wessel has an interesting quote, maybe help us with this. He says, it was a strange group of men our Lord chose to be his disciples. Four of them were fishermen, one a hated tax collector, another a member of a radical and violent political party. Of six of them, we know practically nothing. All were laymen, there was not a preacher or an expert in the scriptures in the lot. Yet it was these, with these men that Jesus established his church 
and disseminated his good news to the end of the earth. Why did Jesus pick these folks? Well, I think the the reason why is because Jesus wanted to remind the world and set a pattern that, that he would use normal people from that point on to take this message of eternal life to the ends of the earth. He didn't choose celebrities. He chose normal people. He didn't choose just one personality type. He chose a variety of people to let us know that all of us are in the we. And in the hands of God, all of us can be used by him to do amazing things. And so here's my question for you today. We're going to get to some other things in just a moment, but I want to begin right here. Who is it that turns you from a me into a we? What does it look like in your life to be a we and not just a me? You know, as we gather here, we, we are a we. Our voices join together. Our hearts join together. We're gathering around the same things. It's one of the reasons why we do this in a large group. But you know what? There's incredible value to not just gathering in large groups, but gathering in small groups as well. And for many around Wildwood, that we looks like a Sunday morning group. We have groups that meet during the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service for adults that gather in, in, in groups and they, they fellowship together. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a way, it's an expression of their we as they share life together. For others, it looks like a community group. This is what it looks like for, for Kimberly and I and our family. We're a part of a, a community group that meets three Sunday nights a month, and we gather together and we share life together. We pray for one another. We look at God's word together. It's an expression of the we in our lives. For others, it might be a serving team. There, there, you might be a part of, of a group that, that, that serves here at Wildwood, the GO team, the, the children's ministry coordinators, whatever. There, there might be a group of people that you consider your we. They turn you from a me into a we as you gather together. For others, it might be WSM. If you're a, a high school student or a middle school student, it might be WSM in the small group that you have there. If you're a college student, it might be college life in the small groups within college life, that that's your expression. But, but who is it that turns you from a me into a we. Jesus took time to gather people around him in a small group. And when you gather together around a small group of people in our midst, we're gathering around Christ together and we look like the very first we that was created to encourage and to spur one another on in our walks with him. Who is it that turns you from a me to a we? Well, think about that. And while you're thinking about that, I want to see a second thing from this passage. And that thing is this. Jesus included a few so that we might include a few more. Jesus included a few so that we might include a few more. This is the strategic pattern of what Jesus did. He gathered around him 12. He built into them so that they would go and include a few more. Jesus communicated that very clearly to his disciples in, in verse 14, when it says he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. That is the filling up of the increasing, overflowing love of God, that we might be with him, have a fellowship with him, have a relationship with him. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him, but then he goes on and says, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. It was Jesus' plan and desire all along to pour into the 12 that they might go and include a few more. He included them that they might include a few others. We see him state that when he called them, and we see him exact it even before he ascends into heaven. 
During his earthly ministry, Jesus continued their training by sending them out in pairs to do some ministry together. We see in verses 7 and in verses 12 and 13 in chapter 6, it says that Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verses 12 and 13, so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. What do we see happening? Jesus' comments were not just a sentiment or a statement, but they were something he was actually going to do. He built into the 12 that they might go out and include a few more, point a few more back to Jesus. That's what we see happening in Mark 6. And this mission doesn't decrease, but increases. It blows up after Jesus dies on the cross and resurrects from the grave. He gathers them together, guess where? On a mountain. In chapter 28 of Matthew, and in verses 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was saying, I called you to be with me, and guess what? I'm still with you. Even though I'm ascending to heaven, the Spirit is coming, I'm going to be with you, Jesus says. He says to us today, I am with you. Wildwood. He says, my, the purpose for the church is that we would go out and we would include a few more. And guess what? That's exactly what the disciples did, exactly what the apostles did. They went out and they included a few more. Some of them went north, some of them went south, some went east, some went west. And all of them included a few more in different contexts. And, and through this expansion of the church, the we got bigger and bigger and bigger as God expanded it around the world. How far did it go? Well, it made it to Norman, didn't it? It made its way all the way to us. And that happened in this very relational thing of the gospel going from this group, they included a few more, they included a few more, they included a few until eventually it's made its way to us. Paul would describe this process in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 2, when he, when he says this, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. It's made its way to us by the strategic decision of a sovereign God who loved us and wanted to fill us with an increasing overflowing measure of his love so that we might share that with others and include a few more in what God is doing. It was the plan from the start. And you know what, when we think about this, it is so much better that we're a we and not a me. What a, what a wonderful strategic thing that, that we're a we and not a me, because here, here's what, you, what we need to remember. We can't do everything. Y'all are a wonderful group of people. Not, not a one of you can do everything. There are things you can't do. If you don't believe me, just ask your spouse. Ask your best friend. Ask your roommate. There's stuff you can't do. You think you might be able to do it. You can't. We can't do it all. We all have different gifts. And not only can we, can we not do it all, but we can't be everywhere. All of us have physical limitations on our space. Some live in, in this neighborhood. Others live in that neighborhood. Some work in, in this building. Others work in that building. Some have kids on this team. Others have kids on that team. We, we have different contexts for our lives. We, we cannot be everywhere. Isn't it great that we're a we? 
We're spread out. We're scattered. Because God wants to do something great through, through each of us in this week. Not, not only can we not do everything, not only can we not be, be everywhere, but also we can't relate to everyone. You realize that you have relational limits? Again, don't believe me, yes. We all have relational limits. There, there's a point where we have an, our, our ability to interact with people has diminishing returns because we're just so full. Mal, Malcolm Gladwell, in his, in his book, uh, Tipping Point, talks about this, this very idea. And one of the things he, he mentions in there is that if you take the, the brain of a mammal and you, you measure some portion of the brain, you, you'll find that there is a direct correlation to the, this particular size of the brain, this measurement in the brain, and the number of animals that are in that, that mammal's tribe. And when you take that same measurement for other mammals and you, you apply it to humans, you find that we have the ability to connect with about 150 people. Now, I'm not saying that I'm an anthropologist and that number's right, but it's interesting to think about, isn't it? When I said that number 150, some of you are going, that number is way high. I, I'm able to, to effectively manage about five relationships. Others of you heard that and you said, no, 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 I've got 82,000 Facebook friends. Back off, Jack. I've got the ability to connect with way more than Mr. Gladwell says. Um, I don't know if that number is right or not. What I do know is it illustrates the point. We, we have limits. We have limits relationally. As a me, we've got a lot of limits. As a we, God can do some amazing things, right? See, he has turned us from a me into a we. And you know, when we think about this, Jesus, when he was on this earth, had some limitations. We talked about that. There were some things that, that Jesus took upon himself willingly when he came to this earth. Why do we think they don't apply to us? See, we're not called to do it all, but collectively, as a we, God can work through us to do some amazing things with a reach and, and ability and opportunity that any one of us would never touch on our own. But together, we can include a few more. So here's, here's the, the, the challenge for us today. What does it look like for you to include a few more in your life? What's it look like? For some of you, it, it might be taking the step of, of leading a small group. And one of the things that, that we will always be doing at Wildwood is recruiting small group leaders. And why is that? Because we always want to be able to include a few more. As God brings people to our church, as we interact with them, we want to have the capacity and the ability to include a few more in community with us. And as I look around at our existing groups you know, it'd be wonderful if every group could just add a few more, but the reality is that those, those living rooms are almost full right now. And so we're always in need of a few more leaders to, to come along, to, to step in, and to lead some of these groups. Maybe God is, is working within you. You're in a group right now. Maybe you could take a couple of people with you, and you could go and be a part of including a few more in community. Maybe it looks like changing your geography. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story uh, about a, a friend of mine. Last, last week, I, I mentioned Bob and Deb Reed um, at the beginning of the message. And again, some of you know Bob and Deb. They were a part of Wildwood for a number of years while uh, Bob was a professor at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, they're, they're very capable people. Bob is an economics professor, Deb a finance professor. 
Um, and, and they were having some, some interest and some success in, in, in reaching out and sharing the gospel with Chinese nationals. It was really cool to see God working through them in the lives of international students on the campus at OU. And they began to, to become convinced that this is part of God's calling on their life was to invest their lives in connecting to Christ, Chinese nationals. And so they began to pray and, and think about where could they go in the world where they could connect Chinese nationals to Christ in a free and an open way. And they found that there was this opportunity in New Zealand, Christ Church, New Zealand, to go and to, to move their family there and to teach in that university and help connect these Chinese national students to Christ. I think today is one of the days that Bob is actually preaching in a Chinese church. This was 10 years ago they moved, preaching in a Chinese church in Christ church. Isn't it amazing to think what God can do whenever we, we just are sensitive to his leading? Now, some of you are going, that sounds cultic. What are you telling me to move? You know, I'm not telling you to move. I'm just telling you what God can do. When we seek God and we, we ask him, what is it, God, that you want? How do you want to include a few more around me? Sometimes he'll have you start a small group. Sometimes he'll have you engage with those on your row. Sometimes he'll have you move to Mordor um, to, to be involved in, in ministry in, in New Zealand. But they're all just opportunities of God using us to include a few more in his ministry. What does it look like? For some of you, it might be one of those things. For, for others of you, it might be just including a few more seats at your lunch table, or including a few more moments with a cup of coffee with a friend. What is it that God wants to do in us? Jesus included a few. We might include